No one has shone a brighter light on corruption at ESCOM than Andre Director, the former CEO. He had to leave South Africa for his own safety, but he's speaking to us today from the United States. Welcome, Andre. Hello, Chris. Good to be with you. Andre, in your opinion, what progress has been made to deal with corruption at ESCOM since your expose? I think, uh, Chris, the, the, the public pressure that arose as a result of my making uh, public the the, um, the very real issues confronting ESCOM, and of course it wasn't uh, a big bang revelation. It, it, it's, I've been um, complaining and bringing this issue to the attention uh, of the authorities, uh, the police, the Hawks, um, and various other entities, including Parliament, uh, for almost the entire duration of my tenure. Uh, but when I when I went public with, uh, first of all, the uh, Larson interview, and then secondly, uh, with the publication of my book, I think it became apparent to many people that there were some very uh, real and systemic issues that created an environment in which corruption could flourish. And when um, this became public, obviously there was uh, a significant outcry, and I think um, we saw some action. We saw, for example, soldiers being deployed to protect infrastructure, uh, quite uh, how, how that was intended to counteract the um, pervasive effects of corruption, one, one wouldn't know. Uh, there were changes made to the senior command structures of police in Mpumalanga. Uh, now, typically, uh, this is done when uh, there is, uh, let's call it, a lack of diligence in pursuing investigations into uh, crime. So those changes were made. That's very encouraging. Uh, and then we saw an investigation by SARS into tax that wasn't paid by uh, people who are alleged to be coal thieves uh, who operated these black sites where uh, coal intended for ESCOM was replaced with very low-grade coal just barely above rocks, uh, which was then provided to ESCOM. Uh, and it's interesting that, that it was the tax authorities that took the lead in collecting some of um, the amounts that they claim are due to them, rather than law enforcement. Uh, we did see some actions where some of these black sites were raided, but we're really talking about the tip of the iceberg here. I think there were uh, some of the truck drivers who were arrested, but these are the operators. These are the foot soldiers. And uh, the, the bigger networks... Uh, I don't think have been properly investigated and pursued. Uh, I don't think that um, we've seen uh, the arrests of uh, people controlling these networks. Uh, and therefore, my supposition, uh, based on, on what I know and what my information is, is that the corruption uh, continues by and large unabated, which of course is very concerning and plays a very considerable role in the continued lack of reliability of the coal generation fleet. But I think there are also some uh, underlying factors that, that uh, create an environment where corruption uh, is enabled. 
and uh, some of this relates to the procurement policy that is in place at all government departments and at all state-owned entities. And this this relates to uh, preferential procurement, which gives the opportunity for non-value adding intermediaries to insert themselves in the process and add very substantial margins on top of what the uh, market price would be uh, if you bought uh, equipment, uh, consumables on the open market through a competitive bidding process. And those margins, I think, um, add significantly to the cost of electricity, they add to the cost of doing business in South Africa, but they also detract from being able to run an efficient business. If any business had to inflate its procurement bill by 20, 30, maybe more uh, percent, then you would be in a very challenged financial situation. And again, if you look across the board uh, at our state and enterprises, this clearly seems to be the case. So I think uh, corruption will come to an end uh, once some of the ringleaders are uh, arrested uh, and, and, and once they've been uh, properly investigated. But I also think that there needs to be a real and substantive look at the underlying factors that give rise to an environment where corruption can flourish. And this includes the way in which the state buys goods and services. Just to take you back to ESCOM, what progress have you seen there to improve the output of a coal fleet? First of all, I think we we need to acknowledge the many good people in ESCOM who work very hard and, and really put in an extraordinary effort. And uh, when I was at ESCOM, uh, I was always quite irritated at how um, the media, sorry if I can uh, criticize the profession that, that you're part of, um, how, how they um, attacked without understanding uh, people who really put in an extraordinary effort. And I think uh, one needs to look at the, the underlying factors. I think one needs to look at the fact that uh, the average age of a coal fleet is now more than 45 years old, and we are asking those machines who have been poorly maintained, who have been neglected, who are being fed a diet of uh, undigestible coal to perform like uh, new pieces of equipment and to uh, have an energy availability factor that is simply not feasible. I, I always talk about the fact that you don't see many 50, 60-year-old cars driving around on the road, and I would certainly not uh, take my... 50-year-old Land Rover to drive down to Cape Town. Why? Not because I don't think that it's a it's a great car, but it certainly is no longer as reliable as a newer car. And to expect that somehow we can patch up these old coal-fired power stations and persuade them to perform um, at an energy availability factor of 70%, I think that is just not realistic. So the solution is that we need to add more generation capacity as quickly as possible while we try and eke out the last bits of performance from these coal-fired power stations. But the the idea that somehow we can resurrect 
these old plants and breathe second lives into them. Uh, I think it's just not realistic and just not uh, doable. Certainly, uh, when you use international benchmarks, uh, there's a there's a very uh, interesting graph that was developed by uh, the American Association of uh, Power Utilities that demonstrated that once a coal-fired power station passes the age of fifty, um, and depressingly, you know, this this may also apply to humans. Once you pass the age of fifty. Um, you 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 really fall off the cliff, and you and you need to think about uh, taking things a little bit more more easily, which is fortunately what what I was able to do. What are the prospects now for generating new capacity uh, in the context of a draft integrated resource plan? Many studies have been carried out about the appropriate generation mix for South Africa going forward. And repeatedly, studies by uh, the CSIR, by ESCOM, by uh, the University of Cape Town have shown that the, the lowest cost and fastest way of addressing our generation shortfall is to open up the gates and install as much renewable energy as possible. Now, one of the main objections is that renewable energy only works when the sun shines and the wind blows, uh, but these can be overcome uh, by managing the grid appropriately, by investing in storage. And even if you invest in storage, renewable energy still comes out tops as the cheapest and uh, certainly the fastest way of solving our generation challenge. Um, if you look at the assumption in the uh, ILP 23, you will see that uh, there will not be energy security or electricity security until 2028. Now, that's uh, a, a, a very unambitious admission from uh, the policy department that load shedding is likely to be with us for another five years. And if you look at the uh, hugely detrimental impacts that a lack of performance from our electricity system has had on our economic performance, on our economic growth, uh, which again, the, the IMF has calculated that we'll be uh, lucky if we exceed 1% economic growth for the current year. Uh, then to wait for another five years to solve this problem when the solution is to hand talks to me about um, a dogmatic adherence to forms of generation that uh, are not environmentally friendly, uh, that are more expensive, and which we will struggle to finance. Uh, and in addition, will make it very difficult for our exporters to compete internationally. Uh, the European Union has already started to implement its carbon border adjustment mechanism. Uh, many people in South Africa are upset by it. Uh, people in the so-called global south uh, view this as uh, an unwarranted attack on uh, our God-given right to burn all the fossil fuels we want. And that may all be true. But fact of the matter is that our major international trading partners are going to penalize economies that have a higher carbon content uh, in the makeup of their electricity systems. And that 
very definitely is South Africa. We are uh, double the the uh, global average in terms of carbon intensity of our economy. So, to my mind, there's there's an opportunity in the ILP to do two things: to accelerate the decarbonisation of our economy by rapidly enabling uh, new investments in renewable energy. Uh, the private sector has already demonstrated uh, the willingness to invest and invest at scale without the need for government subsidies, so no burden to the taxpayer. Uh, and then we can uh, solve for our electricity crisis by adding uh, new generation capacity as quickly as possible. So the, the, the answer is so abundantly clear that one struggles to understand why ILP 23 came up with a different answer than uh, all the modeling work by the entities that I mentioned uh, indicated a completely different answer. But what are the implications for South Africa if it doesn't speed up its decarbonization efforts? I think we're going to find ourselves increasingly isolated uh, from an export perspective. Uh, you already will have seen that, for example, the um, hillside smelter in uh, Richards Bay reached an agreement with ESCOM um, in terms of which it will buy electricity generated from Kuburg. Now, why from Kuburg? Kuburg is carbon-free. And it's very clear from public pronouncements by South 32, the, the owner of the hillside smelter, that they were encountering significant uh, challenges in marketing aluminium produced uh, with electricity that has a very high attributed carbon footprint. So these challenges, these competitive challenges, uh, will just increase. We uh, already know that uh, major motor manufacturers who uh, export vehicles predominantly to trading partners in Europe uh, are, are finding that they need to plan for green energy, low carbon, zero carbon energy. And again, we can we can rail against the injustice of it all. We can say, well, you know, the global north um, consumed the globe's carbon budget by growing their economies on fossil fuel. And that's all true, and that's all valid. But it doesn't change the direction in which the world is going. So for us to remain competitive as an export economy, I think it's absolutely crucial that we, we maintain the tempo of decarbonization, which... Um, to some extent, was uh, precipitated by ESCOM's poor performance from its coal generation fleet. Andre, if I may ask a personal question, what are your future plans? Uh, Chris, eventually I'd like to return to South Africa. Uh, much as I'm enjoying my time in the US, I, it's, it's, a, it's a really enormous privilege for me to be able to teach at Yale. Uh, I find the experience hugely rewarding, hugely stimulating. I, I talk to some very, very bright faculty and students, and uh, it's, it's, it's certainly forcing me to think very long and hard about some of my assumptions that I've had about uh, climate change and um, how the world is, is going to work in future, which is, which is great. So it's a, it's a great learning opportunity for me as well. But much as I enjoyed that, uh, South Africa is still home. Uh, I, I absolutely love the country and its people. And it's the place that I'd like to return to um, when the situation warrants it. So those definitely are my longer-term plans. 
Your bombshell memoir flew off the shelves and it's still one of the most talked about books in this country. Do you have another book in you? Maybe a more truth to power? Uh, you know, there's only so much truth that you could speak to power and then power should 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 listen. Um I what I what I do think uh is is required is um a book possibly that uh sets out the case for enabling very substantial capital flows from the global north to the global south to enable developing economies to grow but grow in a low carbon way. Uh if you look at the way in which the uh, global financial system is currently structured um, to invest in a uh, new generation plant um, in anywhere in, in, in Africa uh, south of the Sahara comes at a cost of capital that is 10 times that applies to countries in the global north which which leads you to the quite bizarre situation that the country with the highest uh, solar capacity installed per capita is the Netherlands. Now, having lived in the Netherlands, I can tell you that if you had to pick a country that is less suited to solar panels on roof, uh, you'd struggle to come up with a better candidate than the Netherlands. It's it's overcast, it's grey, it's cloudy, it's rainy. Uh, but yet, they, they massively roll out uh, solar generation. And if I look then at... Uh, what is happening in Africa and the energy poverty that characterizes Africa and the um, lack of opportunity for economic growth due to the fact that um, the average African consumes less electricity on an annual basis than an American refrigerator does, uh, which is you know a mind-blowing statistic, then we will never address the problem of poverty in the developing world if we do not allow some way of enabling those financial flows to take place. Now, this is very difficult. It's very controversial. Uh, many people have um, broken their heads about this problem, but uh, maybe there's uh, maybe there's a solution they're offering, and that certainly would would warrant um, something to be published. Uh, so that's that's what my thinking is at the moment. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Uh, don't don't uh, start putting in your pre-orders at exclusive books as yet. Um, but it I'm won't sure your published. As... Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure your publishers are, are get it. Will be very excited when they hear you say this. Yeah, I'm. I'm you know, don't. Uh, it, it 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 certainly won't be as as racy a read as my first book uh, that that I can promise you. Well, as you are only too aware, election fever is raging here in South Africa. Andre, what are your wishes for our country, your dreams? I think many people are quite depressed about South Africa. They they look at South Africa and they say, you know, we 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 are either already over the precipice and free fall and we've we're just not noticing it, uh, or we, we are going to fall over uh, imminently. And maybe I and opening myself up to accusations that I'm a Pollyanna, that I'm perpetually optimistic, that I think that somehow there is a bright future to be had. But I feel like if I look at the resources that we have in South Africa, um, both natural and human, 
surely we can do better than we're doing at the moment. Surely with appropriate policies, uh, we, we can attract uh, foreign direct investment that will create jobs, that will create economic growth. Uh, but, you know, if we, if we can't even approve a single mining permit in a year, and with mining that should be one of the major contributors to our economy, what hope do we have of being competitive in uh, a global economy where uh, investors have a lot of choice? But fortunately, I think these are solvable problems. They, they, they are not intractable. Uh, and my wish would be that political parties start uh, positioning themselves not as what they're against. Everybody is against corruption. Everybody is against uh, unemployment. Everybody is against the lack of economic growth. Uh, we know all that. And uh, most political parties are against uh, the ruling party. But start telling us what you are for. Uh, and how you intend to achieve that. Because I think that, my, my, my wish would be that that would sway the electorate uh, to create uh, a vision, if you will, of what is possible in South Africa. Because the opportunities certainly are there. And in my interactions with people who uh, manage some, some pretty serious amounts of money that they move around the world, uh, they see South Africa... The same way, they they shake their heads. They say, you know, this country is so much opportunity. Why aren't you using it? And if if we can get appropriate political leadership that will open up those opportunities and a civil service that actually does its job without asking for for lunch money, uh, we we can make a difference. We we can counteract the prevailing African stereotype of um, failure, economic failure and corruption. Thank you. That was Andre de Reiters speaking to Biz News. I'm Chris Stain. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>